All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to the book of James. The book of James, this small letter towards the back of your Bible, the end of the New Testament, written by Jesus' half-brother, the book of James. We're gonna finish out chapter one today. This is like our, we've been in James for a while, and it was choppy there at the start, but now we're, uh, we've gotten to verse 19. James 1, verse 19, and we're gonna start there. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you, how important is it that you be somebody that keeps your word? Were you, re- were you raised to be somebody that keeps your word? Has anybody ever talked to you about uh, the importance of character, integrity, or a handshake, or word is bond, or eye contact, or how important is keeping your word? I, over the course of the pandemic, have wished that Google was a little bit better at keeping its word. We have multiple times looked up store hours over the last couple months, only to end up at a store that closed early because of uh, employees, or closed early because of sickness, or closed early because of something, right? And if it says on Google that they're open until 9 p.m., and I get there at 7.30 and they're already closed, that's frustrating, right? But we'll give them a pass because of the pandemic, but how much more of a letdown is it, not when my phone lets me down, or Google, who's trying its best, right, but when you tell me something and you don't come through with it, or, and I'll be honest, how much more of a letdown is it when I tell you something and I don't come through with it? Man, that hurts you, that causes you to maybe not believe anything I say, And that's troubling if this is what my role is, right? It is important for you to be able to say what you mean and mean what you say. It's important for you to be able to keep your word. But perhaps there is something even more important than you keeping your word. And that is you keeping my word or you keeping somebody else's word. If I told you to go tell somebody something for me, and you didn't tell them that, or you told them something opposite of that, or you told them something that was not that, and you changed the message, or you construed the message, that's bad, isn't it? If Val's sitting in the car, ready to go somewhere, and the kids are already in the car with her, and Val says, JJ, you go inside and tell Daddy that we're waiting on him out here. And JJ comes inside and says, Dad, Mom is mad at you. We're leaving right now. She's driving. (laughs) He just misrepresented her, and he just changed the whole relationship, didn't he? He just changed the whole situation. More important than you keeping your own word might be you keeping somebody else's word. And listen, this gets real serious when you say that God has saved your soul. Because the Bible, especially James says, that when God saved your soul, he took his word, his message, and he implanted it inside of you. Look at James chapter one, verse 18. This isn't our passage today, but I wanna show you this. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God saved us by his truth, by his word. He put it inside of us. You're gonna see here in just a minute from verse 21 that he says he put the implanted word inside of our soul, right? That God did that. 
And so in God saving our souls, he has made us his people, his ambassadors, his witnesses, his little Christs, as we know that's what Christian originally meant, his image bearers, right? We are to represent Christ. And when we do not do that, James says that we are hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. In other words, we have not faithfully relayed the message of what God has said. We've not kept his word. We've not kept our word with our testimony and profession of faith, but we've not kept his word of what he did when he saved us, right? He saved us that we would be living for the glory of God, that we would be faithful to him. Now, before you feel beat down, and I I certainly do not want to beat you down this morning, we must admit right here from the beginning that none of us are gonna faithfully do this. All of us drop the ball on some levels of living faithfully like Christ has. But in his mercy and grace, God has extended an open invitation to us always by the power of his spirit working through us that we would run to him for forgiveness. So that every time that we do not keep his word and every time that we fall short and every time that we are not faithfully representing him, we can say, I was wrong, my bad. God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. I run to you, God, knowing that he gladly receives us. In our repentance, in our humility, and in our brokenness, in our cry for forgiveness, we are keeping God's word as a forgiving savior. God has not said, now y'all know how I did it, now y'all go do it just like me, and that's all that he said. He does say we should be holy like he is holy, but there's more that he said. There is room for us to fall into sin and receive grace to be forgiven in our sins and be restored back. But that's a part of the process as well. We are doers of the word in our repentance of sin. We are doers of the word when we believe that our sins are forgiven. Do you keep his word? And this is James's issue. We've said now many times that James is serious. I've told y'all this is the first letter written in the New Testament, the earliest book written in the New Testament. So James is not building off what Paul said. James is not building off what Peter said. James walked with his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a late bloomer. He did not believe early. But when God saved him, James came with fire. He was not an apostle. He walked with the apostles. This man loves Jesus, loves the truth, and wants you guys, wants us to live it. He wants us to be doers of the word. Read with me. James chapter one, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Man, James is throwing haymakers at all of us who are proud about our religion, is he not? James is saying, let me step on your toes. I'm tired of people misrepresenting God's word, James says. There are three comparisons in our section today. Uh, they, They divide up pretty easily. Number one, we're gonna look at the anger of man versus the righteousness of God. You saw that in verses 19 to 21. The anger of man versus the righteousness of God. Number two, we're gonna look at hearers of the word Verses doers of the words, verses 22 to 25. Hearers of the word versus doers of the word. What's the difference? And then number three, we're gonna look at worthless religion versus pure and undefiled religion, verses 26 and 27. It's awesome that James is writing so clearly for us here and we can see these comparisons. This series is called Faith Works, a play on words with the tension that James has between faith and works, and at the same time, pointing out that these people were going through hard times. They were dealing with persecution, and so the key was going to be faith, not works. But if your faith is a hearing-only faith, then you don't really have faith, and so faith doesn't work. In essence, faith works. We are to be doers of the word. So number one, the anger of man versus righteousness of God. James wants us to see that how we respond to situations reveals who we are. A couple weeks ago, I talked to y'all the difference between the saying that sports build character, and some people say, oh, no, they don't build character. Sports reveal character, and some people say, no, they don't reveal character. They build character, and I told y'all it's really both, right? For what reveals your character was an opportunity to later on build your character. You see what I'm saying, right? But God works through those trials. Well, James has spent the first big portion of chapter one dealing with tests and trials and temptations. He speaks a lot about this. And now he's gonna show us that the response to these things is very revealing of where your heart is. And can we be honest about that? It's not how you are when everything is going good that reveals if you're a nice person. All of you are nice when the money's flowing and everybody's praising you for how great you are. Who you really are comes out when things are not going well. And this is hard for us to admit. I'm guilty of this as well. So James, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, brings forth anger. And if you're not paying attention to what James has been talking about, you think, well, where did anger come from? I mean, I get trials and tests and temptations and all that, and life's hard and it's a struggle and all that. Well, why anger? Because isn't anger one of the most natural responses that comes out when we find ourselves tense and upset? when we're being tested and we don't like it, when we're being tested and we fail the test, when we're being tempted and we're now guilty and convicted because we're being tempted, when the devil's trying to get at us, isn't it often a response of anger? 
and this is what we see. James is directly speaking to the the trials and tests that come in life. He's already taught us that the evil and the temptation does not come from God. God does not change. God is faithful, and God is testing us at times so we could pass the test and prove that we love him and that we believe him. But he knows that often in our lives, there is an ungodly response. And so he says in verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to ask you that when life is hard and things are not going the way you want, when people hurt your feelings, when things don't work out, do you fall back on what you know? Do you quote some scriptures? Do you remember where hope is? Do you remember that you knew beforehand that there are gonna be bad days? Or do you turn in, listen to me, to the regular, natural, worldly person that's going to respond in a worldly, ungodly way. You can see the response coming, can you not? And anger is often what comes out of somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But the power of God is not working in them. And James is now pointing out, this is not the way you respond when your hope is in a sovereign God. This is not the way you respond when you have the word of God living and dwelling inside of you. And so in verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. And he gives us three quick commands. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is good advice. You've probably heard before, this is why God gave you two ears and one mouth, that you would listen more than you talk, right? What if we had two mouths and one ear? The world would be even worse, right? We'd be even more annoying and more argumentative than we are. We'd complain even more. But God gave us two ears and one mouth. And James wants us to know that when you believe all that he just taught us, In chapter one already, like, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has a purpose in the trials. God is maturing me. God is making me like Christ when I suffer. God is making me like Christ when things don't go the way I want them to. God is making me like Christ when things are not the way I like it. And so... Why would I be angry about that? If it's something God is doing and God is working in, if God has a plan through this, getting angry about it shows I don't believe the one who's got the plan. I don't believe the one who's in charge of the plan. I don't believe his plan of what he's trying to do to make me like Christ. And so I get angry about it, right? That's not the righteousness of God response. We are to be slow to anger. One commentator says that speaking and wrath, okay, and so not listening, speaking and wrath, anger, link together whenever anger provokes hasty speech. We're just blasting people. We're just lashing out. And often, he says, both of these problems stem from inadequate listening. How many times have you been in an argument And somebody's just talking, talking, talking and trying to get the final word and trying to get there. And somebody said, you're not listening. James says this is a real issue over and over again 
But his point is that this is not from God. We are not believing God in those moments. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And you know that, right? When we are talking too much, when we are not listening first, we are putting ourselves in position to be responding wrongly often with anger. And anger, the anger from man, is opposed to the response of the righteousness of God. How does God want me to react in this situation? How does God want me to handle this? What does it look like for me to believe, for my faith to work in this moment? One commentator says, bluntly, human anger does not produce a behavior that is pleasing to God. Human anger does not produce a behavior that is pleasing to God. I got a call several years ago from a church that was struggling with several situations and they were uh, asking me some questions and asking me for some advice. And what had happened was one of the pastors in the church now, there had been multiple reports from just church people uh, saying that they think he's got an anger problem. There have been times where he's lashed out at them. They think he's being verbally abusive. And there had been a handful of these come up. And so the leadership of the church said, all right, we're gonna have to confront him on it. And they brought this pastor in. They had a meeting with them. It was about, about eight or 10 of them meeting with the pastor. And they said, all right, we gotta confront you on what we have a sin issue here. We've got multiple reports that you've got an anger problem. When they told him that, he slammed the table, he jumped up, screamed at them and said, I don't, I don't have an anger problem and I'm tired of people accusing me of it. He had an anger problem. Made it crystal clear, didn't he? Listen, life is hard and you need to know it. We say it a lot around here. And there are gonna be times where you would naturally respond in an ugly way fight back, curse back, hurt back, insult back, never talk to them again, never deal with it. That's what the world does. If you wanna see people who get angry over struggles and ruin relationships, just go look around outside at your work with your friends, with your family, and there are plenty of examples. But if you want to believe that the power of God is working inside of you, and has poured grace on you upon grace upon grace and forgiving all of your sins and giving you newness of life from a Christ who rose from the grave, then you start asking God every day at every moment, what's it look like to believe you with this trial? What's it look like to believe you with this burden? What's it look like to believe you in this situation? And you will see the difference between the response that is from the anger of man or the response that is from the righteousness of God. And when you start thinking, Thinking on those faithful terms, then verse 21 makes sense. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We all know what it looks like to respond in a filthy way. We all know what it looks like to respond with rampant wickedness. We all know what it looks like to uh, hurt people back. That's not the way of God. The way of God says that his word has been implanted inside of me 
And that truth, that gospel, that good news, that savior that died for me and loves me is what is saving my soul. And so even through the hardest of moments, we look to him on how we navigate this situation. So we must be listeners first. We must be quick to hear, not quick to respond, not quick to reply, not quick to put our two cents in, not quick to be heard. Trust God and allow his implanted word to inform what you're like. Number one, the anger of man versus the righteousness of God. But he goes on and it gets tougher. Verse uh, number two, hearers of word versus doers of the word. So if the word has a role in how you respond, which it does in verse 21, right? Put away that sinfulness, that sinful response, and instead receive the implanted word. If the word has a role, then now it's not only just knowing what the word is, but it is actually believing and acting upon that word. So James ratchets it up a knot. Here's what he's saying. There's some people out there that are so worldly and so anger of man that they haven't even thought about what God says. They haven't thought about what the word says. They haven't even thought about what the sermon was about. They haven't even read the Bible. They haven't been on their knees. They haven't sought the Lord. And they're just out there living. They're just out there blasting people like crazy. They might say they're a Christian, but they are so worldly and ungodly in their responses. That's terrible. But James says, you gotta receive the word. But even after you've submitted yourself to the word, you're listening, you're reading, you're believing, you're trying to look to God, that alone is not the answer. There's a difference between a hearer only and a doer. And this is where James takes it up a step. James points out that the word is not something that all people have within them from birth onward. Receiving the word of God is not equal to being made in the image of God. You being made in the image of God in God's likeness is not enough to save your soul. It is not enough to empower proper response. It is not enough to make you quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, right? It's enough to get you really confused over it, to be honest. We must be people, this quote says, that understand that the word is not something that all people have within them from birth onward, but the word is an entity that has taken up residence within believers. When God saves us, he takes his truth and he writes it on our hearts so that now our steps and our faith and our moving forward cannot go without considering the word. This is what James is getting at. Look what he says here in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, James has already said this before. Do not be deceived. That's what we looked at last week with verse 16. Do not be deceived. He says it again here, deceived. What does he think people get deceived about? He says he calls them brothers, brothers and sisters. They could be deceived. They could be deceived on thinking that because they acknowledge the word or hear the word or read the word or confess the word, that that means they are of the word. And James says, that's not true. You may have walked in with your Bible today, but you don't try to obey it. You may have confessed that you believe the word of God, but you don't try to obey it. James says, you are deceived. Just because you have a jersey don't mean you're on the team. It's the people who take the word Read the word, seek to understand the word, 
and want to obey the word because it is the word that has changed their lives. It is the God of the word who died on the cross for their sins. Don't be deceived in thinking that you're about the word if you don't want to live out the word. Now, these aren't my words. This is what James is saying. And I told you weeks ago that James is intense. And then he goes into these two uh, illustrations here. And he talks about somebody who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. That's hard for us to think about because we've got mirrors everywhere, right? And we can even look on our phone and see what we look like. And we have a pretty good idea of what we look like. But you gotta think back then there were no selfies, right? You gotta think back then there were no cameras, right? You gotta think back then there may not have been uh, windows everywhere that you could look into or mirrors everywhere. And so there's this idea of you've looked into something, but you walk away and you really can't remember what you look like. He's saying that's bad. And the issue with these two illustrations from verse 23, 24, and 25 is forgetting. And he uses the word forget twice. Verse 24, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So in other words, it's the person who says, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, I'm a part of a church, man, I live for God, I believe the Bible. And just about as soon as they've gotten away from that declaration or that confession, the trial and the toughness comes and an opportunity to respond in either a godly way or a worldly way arrives and we forget how God has taught us to respond. We come to church on a Sunday morning and it's very clearly quick to hear, slow to speak. And we go out to lunch today and we find ourselves at Elna Paul and the service isn't what we thought. So then we're complaining and we're griping and we're in a bad attitude and all of that. That's the person that just looked in the mirror and forgot what they looked like. That's the person that just looked into God's word. They saw that the response speaks to who we are. We can't be hearers only and doers, but as soon as we got away from it, I mean, we're no further away than lunch on a Sunday that we have forgotten that the response to trials is a testimony to the word inside of us or the lack of word inside of us, and we are deceived, he says. So let's be honest here today. Are you a hearer of the word or do you aim to do the word? And as I said at the beginning, this isn't a legalistic sermon. You are a doer of the word if what you're saying all the time is, man, I sinned again. But I cast my lot to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. And I need forgiveness. And I humble myself right now before God. God, would you forgive me of that sin again? And help me to walk in obedience, not shame to your name and your truth. See, you're a doer of the word when you live a life of repentance for your sins. But we've got to make sure that we've been honest about, hey, God saved me by the word. I want you to think back to that for a moment. I want you to think back when God started this in your life. You remember when you heard the word and you're like, man, I think he's speaking to me. Yesterday I was at a wedding and I heard somebody share a testimony before the wedding. Or, yeah, they were talking about their story. Somebody had asked them, tell me your story. And I heard them say they had been going to church and been to church a few times, went with friends. But they said before long, as they sat in the pew, here's what they thought. They thought that the preacher was literally preaching just at them. 
They said the preacher, it sounded like God was preaching the word through that preacher right to them and they fell under conviction of their sin and they said, so I asked God to save me that day and since then I've been a Christian. When, when did that happen for you? When did the word mean something to you? That wasn't a normal Sunday where you, all you were thinking about was getting out of here. That was those days when, man, you came here thinking, man, that was good. Man, I love those songs today. It was good to see those people. Man, that word was strong. That, that was happening to me. You remember that? I hope you remember that. James says, you need to get back to that. James says, don't be deceived that that's something you used to be. Be somebody now who says it is the word alive in me and don't be somebody who forgets about what the word's doing in your life. Don't be somebody that looks in the mirror. Don't be somebody that looks down into it and then walks away and the word's not working on you more. Hey, when you're in the hardest of situations, the word is informing you, pushing you, encouraging you, inspiring you. Now, this message of doers of the word is very consistent with the Bible. And we gotta be honest about this. In Luke chapter 11, with Jesus teaching, eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, not just hear it. Hearing the word of God is important. It's critical, it's a part of it, but it is not enough. And he says, hear it and keep it. Or what about the passage in Romans 2 that was read earlier in the service today? I just want to read verse 13 to you out of Romans 2. Listen to this. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now again, we know the tension between faith and works. We know that we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2, not by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith, right? You can't do anything to be good enough or to earn it. But a saving faith works. A saving faith is accompanied by works. It is accompanied by somebody who wants to repent, who wants to obey. And although we fail at it, we want to. God has given us a heart. And so it's the tension between are you a hearer or are you a doer, the contrast, which are you? Commentator Douglas Moo says, if one wants the benefits of its saving power, talking about the word, one must also embrace it as a guide for life. The person who fails to do the word, James therefore suggests, is a person who has not truly accepted God's word at all. For us to say that we have accepted Christ, apart from accepting what Christ's word says, has not truly accepted Christ. And so, perhaps, what we really have in the world today are a lot, a lot of false professions. But before you get too discouraged over James's intensity, may you feel, even now, that God has implanted his word inside of you, and you want to be somebody who is a doer of the word. Perhaps you sit here today going, I don't want to be a hearer only. I do want to live my life for God. And this is what James is saying. James is writing to people who are struggling with this. And so may we be encouraged that God often calls us back. Not hearers, but doers. Now, it is worth pointing out here right now that in order to be a doer, you must be a hearer. In order to be a doer of the word, you must be a hearer of 
the work. I can't tell you how many times that Val asked me if I did something, and I said, nah, I didn't do it. She says, well, I told you to, and I said, well, I didn't hear you. And the beautiful thing about that is we don't know. We really don't. I don't know if she didn't say it or if I didn't hear it. We don't know. We don't know the answer to that. But more often than not, she says, well, I said it. And I said, well, I didn't hear you. Folks, one of the beautiful things about the way God has designed his religion, his faith, his worship, is that it's really clear to everybody here, everybody involved, it's communicated. You've got a book, a long book, a good book, right? If you don't have one of these, we'll give you one today. If you want a bigger one, we'll give you one. Smaller one, we'll give you one. A large print, we'll give you one. Different version, we'll give you one. We will give you this book, right? God is designed for you to have the word, hear the word, read the word. On top of that, God's designed for you to be here, and you already know it. You are here in the midst of a pandemic with pews marked off, with masks required. You know, all of that that's going on, hand sanitizer when you walk in, you're still here. God is a mastermind in designing how you can be a doer of the word. Not everything's that easy. This last week, we started NTI, homeschool for people that don't want to do homeschool. And it is hard. It is really, really hard. And teachers are taking attendance on classes that are meeting online that we can't get into. The link didn't work. The internet went out. My spectrum's not good enough. I mean, on and on. This is hard, right? And we find ourselves in the NTI going, they're trying to hold me to a standard that we can't live up to. We tried to log on to the class, but we didn't get into the class, right? God's not as complicated as that. God has said, you need to be about the word when I put the word in you. Here's the word, there's the Holy Spirit, here's the church, right? He's made it easy for us. So let's be honest about not deceiving ourselves. Let's not be hearers only. Let's be doers of the word. Let's submit ourselves to what God has said. Let's say, I know what God says. I want to know more of what God says. Can you help me grow in what God says? Let's be doers of the word. Number one, the anger of man compared to the righteousness of God. Number two, hearers of the word versus doers of the word. And then lastly, and perhaps even more strongly, he ratchets it up even more, <clears throat> worthless religion versus pure and undefiled religion. Now, I'm glad James is saying this because it would sound over the top. It would sound like an angry preacher if I was calling somebody's religion worthless, wouldn't it? We would think there's no place for that. But James knows how serious the cross was. James knows how serious it is for you to not be saved from your sins. James knows that there is a judgment coming for the whole world and that God loves us and sent his son to die for us, that we would believe God. And so this is not something that we can joke about or think that we're gonna cruise into. We are to take it serious. And if a religion is no good, then let's say it's no good. And if a faith is no good, let's say it's no good. And if a spirituality is worthless, let's say that it's worthless. Worthless. And so that's where James goes. Verse 26. If anyone, anyone thinks he's religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Y'all, this is the Bible. This is God's holy word written to us. If you cannot control your tongue, throw it all out. Throw it all out. If there is no desire for you to control your tongue and you talk like everybody else does, get rid of it. Get rid of it. I wish there were more people here today because I had a good old guy in Fairdale tell me that he quit going to some of the local cornhole tournaments because they are so filthy. To be at the tournament was just filthy being there because of the way people talk. From our people, our friends, our family. Believers or not, I don't know. But we know what it's like for the world to be filthy, not in what they're doing, simply by the way they talk. Men talking to women, kids talking to parents, Racist people talking to people of different races. Workplace people. Filth, 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 filth. James says, if you are not trying to control your tongue, throw it all out. It's worthless. Your faith is worthless. Your church going is worthless. Everything about your spirituality is worthless if you're not controlled about your tongue. And it doesn't just have to be filth. It might be lies. It might be you don't keep your word. Bridling your tongue to James seems to be as big of a test as there is to where your heart is. And he went there, he used heart, did he not? Deceives his heart. Doesn't matter how much money you would give to me or to the poor. Doesn't matter how many hours you might serve in our nursery taking care of kids. It doesn't matter how often you read your Bible or how many times you show up here for a Bible study. If you are not wanting to control your tongue, throw it all out. It's worthless. It's not my words. This is James. And I knew that James was intense like this. And from there, he contrasts it to verse 27. Here's religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Now let's stop there for a second. Religion before God, meaning that it is God's attention and God's awareness that is most important in religion anyway. Think about this, religion before God. Have you considered this morning that the offering that we just took was to be worshiped to him? It wasn't for our sake. It was first and foremost for God's sake. Have you, relig- have you considered that the songs we just sang first and foremost were for God? They are for us as well. But first and foremost, they are for God. We are singing to God. Have you considered that? Have you considered that your being here and being involved in serving or doing whatever you do is for God? This seems to be James's biggest heart. And if you've forgotten that altogether, then you've forgotten all of it together. Religion before God. Do you remember in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels where he says, they've received their reward. Everybody else saw them. You remember how often he says that? Jesus says, oh, they saw it. Oh, hey, hey, guess what, God? Your family knows you're here today. Your family knows you're here today. Your neighbors know you're here today. It's always so awkward when I'm leaving for church dressed like this and my neighbor's out there mowing his grass. 
It's always so awkward when I'm leaving for church dressed like this and I got neighbors out there in their pajamas, bedhead and a coffee going to get the paper. Hey, they know we're here. They also know whether it's pure or worthless. That's real talk from James, is it not? Hey, your family and friends, they know if you are just as crude as they are. And you know what? Maybe they're more honest by not being here. Can we be honest with James? If we're here faking the fake, James sees it. But you know what James sees? God sees it. Religion before God the Father. And he says, here's what it is, pure and undefiled. And he gives us three things. Man, it's fascinating. Now, I gotta warn y'all that it's not just these three things that make up pure and undefiled religion. You gotta be careful with that. Every once in a while, people single out a verse and they'll try to make it everything, and that's not it. He does say three things, and they're important, and they're a part of it, but it's not everything, okay? Verse 27, here's what it is. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's a big test. It's a big test that James gives us. He's talking about people that are needy. He's talking about people that have a hard way to go. He's talking about people that don't have spouses, don't have parents. In a lot of ways, all your family, your spouse, your parents is, is your support system, right? If you don't get parents, then where are you gonna get the shoes from that you need if you don't have parents? If you don't have a spouse, then how are you gonna get everything taken care of? These are people that are a little more vulnerable, a little bit more needy. And James just says, because God has so helped us that we want to help other people. And so one of the real tests is, if the word has been implanted into you and you hear the word that says help people, do you wanna help people? If the, world, if the word has said that we are to be sensitive to those who are needy, are we sensitive to those who are needy? I gotta read to you this quote from one commentator. Listen up, please. He says, in the ancient world, with an absence of money-making possibilities for women and any kind of social welfare, widows and orphans were helpless to provide for themselves. Okay, so here's a social situation, right? There are people in society that need help. Can we say that? People in society that need help, okay? A mark of Israel's obedience, therefore, was to be a special concern for these helpless people. The Lord commanded the people in Exodus 22, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. And the law specified that the people were to go out of their way to provide for the widow and the orphan in Deuteronomy 14. Isaiah, and I remember this when we preached on it, Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah, in a passage very similar in ways to these verses in James, announces, listen to this, that God will no longer recognize the worship his people offer him. They must repent and seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the cause of the widow. In these actions, the people of Israel were to imitate God himself. As Psalm 68 says, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And God is telling his people to be like God in that we care for those who need help. It is probably for this reason that James describes God here as the father. One test of pure religion 
therefore, is the degree to which we extend aid to the helpless in our world, whether they be widows and orphans, immigrants trying to adjust to a new life, impoverished third world dwellers, the handicapped or the homeless. That's why I'm so thankful for Tish Harden and her team working hard here every single week for us to have a Dare to Care food pantry where without us being judgmental, in all honesty and humility, we want to feed anybody and everybody we can. But let's not miss that the Bible is speaking to us simply about caring for those who are needy. Right? I don't think you disagree with me on that. So I must say here that you need to be careful with your politics. You need to check your identity are you a hearer or doer of the word when there are politicians or news reports that are continually insulting the needy and homeless? I'm offended and God's offended every time we hear it. You may know some people's stories, but you don't know everybody's story and when you lump them all together, that's where you've gone. God says, when God says that we must help the ones who are needy, we must love the ones who are needy, we must love and care for them, we are now seeing ourselves in contrast, set opposed to the people who talk bad about them and the God who says to care for them. And so what's our identity? It should be that we are not hearers only, but doers. Walk as far as you can to learn their story, but do not immediately discredit their position. That's who we are to be. And lest we think that we are any, and I mean any, less needy than them, go look in the mirror and don't forget where you came from. So are we hearers or doers? And the way we care for those who are widows and orphans, vulnerable and needy, speaks to that. But he says one more thing, and this is such a neat phrase. Look at the very end of verse 27. And here is pure and undefiled religion. Not worthless religion, but here is pure and undefiled religion. He says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The stench, the dirt, the filth of the world will rub off on us if we are not focused on Christ. And one step down the wrong road before you have realized it will have you a thousand steps down the wrong road. So James warns with huge descriptive words like pure and undefiled that you would be careful and aware that the world is not having more of an influence on you than you are having in the world. And hence we have the phrase, in the world, but not of the world. We are of Jesus Christ, our Father in heaven, who saved us by the truth of his word. We look to him, we learn from him, and we seek to go and obey him. But in the world and not of the world can be a scary place. And so we must focus on the word and be doers of the word. To which one commentator says, where we must function as salt and light to the needy, but not lose our ability to arrest corruption and illuminate darkness in the midst of ministry. Doesn't that sound good? 
We are in the world, but not of the world. We are salt and light in the world, but not to the extent that we can't speak to what is wrong and not to the extent, not to the extent that we can't shine light in darkness. But you can't be shining light in darkness if you're not around the darkness. And you cannot be calling out wrong if you're not in the position to call out the wrong. And hence we have the reality of a New Testament believer whose citizenship is in heaven, who follows Christ and walks in this fallen world where everybody in the world is trying to respond to all of this drama in the world today by man-made worldly ways. And it's not going to work. That's why what you do makes me mad and what you do makes me mad and what you do makes me mad and how you respond to it makes me mad. And that's why everybody you know is responding in angry ways. But James wants us to get eyesight on the truth. He wants us to remember that our Father is looking and our Father sees. He wants us to spend time in this word with people who believe this word. Get our focus on him and go and live it There is a religion that is worthless. In church, every once in a while, you find yourself spending a lot of time on something, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of money, only at the end to go, well, that's not gonna work. And we wasted all that time and energy and money. Well, let's start over. Let's tear it down. Let's break it up. Let's start all over. And you think, man, what a waste that was. Well, if it's something you're building at home, like a home project, well, you just kind of shake it off and bite the bullet and get over it. But in all seriousness, what if our religion is a waste? What if we are really here for nothing? You know what determines that? James says this morning, the way your heart receives this word and acts on it. Doers of this message. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for James being so strong And thank you, God, for the contrasts that we have here. Lord, help us be able to look and analyze and consider where we're at. Lord, draw us back. God, forgive us where we've gotten sideways and distracted and and off the focus. God, I confess that we want to be about your word. God, we want to be faithful to your word. We wanna be a church that is about the word of God. Help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.